Welcome to Hooked. I'm Rachel, your guide through the perplexing and sometimes deadly world of internet catfishing. Why do people catfish? And how many lies can they tell before they get caught? Stick around to find out in this week's episode of Hooked. In Coventry, England, 32-year-old Mark Drybro was deeply depressed. It was 2005, and life hadn't turned out the way he'd expected. Ten years before, while at university for computer engineering, Mark had been full of hope and life. The former class clown was looking forward to a financially secure life in IT and hopefully a happy marriage with a kid or two. But in his last year or so of school, Mark caught a viral infection from his girlfriend and never fully recovered. He believes he developed chronic fatigue syndrome, though he was never formally diagnosed. He stopped seeing his girlfriend, he stopped going to class, and most days he stopped even getting out of bed. Eventually, he dropped out of university and moved into a house left to him by his great uncle. His depression grew steadily worse, and Mark began having psychotic episodes. Even so, he didn't want to take medication. He couldn't hold down a job, so his mother paid his bills. With virtually no life to speak of, Mark turned to the internet. After a quick Google search, Mark created a profile on the site alt.suicide.methods. His username was Spooky. He wrote a post explaining his dilemma. He wanted to die, and he wanted to do it by hanging, but he didn't have anything in his home high enough to make it happen. Did anyone have a creative idea? As it turned out, a lot of people did. While the site hosted plenty of people who tried to talk fellow site users out of suicide, there were just as many willing to help people complete it. Lee Dow was one of those people. She sent Mark an email with detailed instructions on how to hang himself. A few weeks later, he successfully used those directions to take his own life. Three years later, in Ottawa, Canada, Nadia Kajuji was a freshman at Carleton University. Studying law and politics, Nadia wanted to eventually go into both. Her hallmates in her dorm described her as clever, happy, and destined for greatness. But like many college freshmen, Nadia found her freshman year at university to be slightly disappointing, to say the least. Not only was she dealing with classes, having to make new friends, and being 300 miles away from her family, Nadia had more serious things to deal with. She had started dating a boy at Carleton whom she really loved, but just because she loved him didn't mean she wanted to get pregnant with his baby. And even though she didn't want the baby, it didn't mean she wanted to have a miscarriage. But all of those things happened. While at college, Nadia kept a video diary, just for herself, stored on her computer. Watching these videos, you can see her go from an excited new college student to a deeply depressed young woman. Though Carleton University offered its students free medical services of every kind, physical and mental, Nadia found their therapy less than helpful. With both her counselor and her therapist, she openly talked about wanting to kill herself. She was prescribed SSRIs, but found that they weren't enough. I didn't want to get pregnant. I didn't choose to get pregnant. The condom broke. I took the morning after pill. It failed. So I was pregnant and had no choice in the matter. Uh, then I miscarried. So I couldn't choose whether to keep the child or not keep the child. Go through with the pregnancy, not go through with it. If she asked, have you been thinking about suicide? I'd say yes. I am depressed. I have postpartum mood disorder, clinical depression, and, insom and insomnia. Sure, you yourself have thought about suicide? Yes, I've thought about suicide. What a shocker. Um, maybe I wouldn't be thinking about it if I could sleep and be happy. Like, no, you're unwilling to give me the medication to get me to sleep. 
Nadia didn't feel like she was being taken seriously, and it all came to a head one night while out at a restaurant with friends. Nadia arrived at the restaurant with razor blades in her purse, and finally, unable to contain herself any longer, she pulled them out and said, if somebody doesn't help me, I'm going to hurt myself. An ambulance was called, Nadia was taken to the hospital, and then quickly released. Much like in the U.S., Canadian healthcare laws prohibit access to a person's medical records unless that person expressly gives permission. This means that Nadia's parents had no idea what was going on with their daughter. When she came home for winter break, they noticed that she was not herself, but when they asked her about it, she said she was just tired. When her dad, Mohammed, tried to get more information, she told him that if she wanted to talk about it, she'd let him know. Back at school for the spring semester, Nadia's hallmates could see a difference too. Nadia rarely came out of her single room. She didn't go to class, she wouldn't even make eye contact with anyone. One day, a girl in her dorm called security because she believed Nadia was suicidal. Nadia sent security away, saying she was fine. And so in February, Nadia did the same thing Mark Drybrough had done in 2005. She made an account on alt.suicide.methods. She wrote about being depressed and how bad her insomnia was. Even if she could get out of bed, she couldn't get out to take a walk and get some fresh air. The winter was one of the most severe in Ottawa's history. It was on the site that Nadia met a user calling herself Cammy D. Cammy told Nadia that she was a 31-year-old nurse who struggled with suicidal ideation. She told Nadia that she wanted to kill herself soon by hanging. Nadia wrote to her, I would like to die soon. I'm planning to attempt this Sunday. Cammy replied, Wow, you want to use hanging too? Nadia told her, no, she wanted to jump off a bridge into a river. She wanted her death to look like an accident for the sake of her family. Cammie's caring demeanor slipped for a second. She wrote, well, that's okay, but most people puss out before doing that. She again suggested hanging. Quote, I'm not trying to scare you, but I've seen tons of failed overdoses and bad wrist cuttings and some failed jumpers. In seven years, I've never seen a failed hanging. But Nadia had chosen the Rideau River for a reason. Quote, the water is really rough right now, and it should carry me back under the ice so I can't really come up for air. And if drowning doesn't get me, hopefully the hypothermia will. It seemed like an okay plan, Cammy said, but wouldn't it be more comforting to go out together? She suggested that she and Nadia kill themselves at the same time, over webcam. But on March 9th, 2008, after a whole night of blaring music in her room, Nadia emailed her roommates that she was going skating. Apparently, ice skating is so common in snowy Ottawa that some students use it as an actual mode of transportation during the winter, so no one thought it was weird. Nadia had a therapy appointment scheduled for that day, but she skipped it. She climbed onto the bridge and jumped into the frozen water, hoping what Cami said about failed jumps was wrong. Nadia succeeded. Her cause of death was hypothermia. But no one would know that for six weeks, when her body was finally found after the spring thaw of the river. The day after she left, Nadia's hallmates again called campus security. The officers broke down Nadia's door and found her wallet, her IDs, and an iPod paused mid-song. It was two days before the Kajuji parents were notified that their daughter was missing. When Muhammad and Deborah saw that Nadia had left behind her money and IDs, they knew she hadn't gone far, but Muhammad said that even then, he was pretty sure Nadia was dead. It was only then that the Kajujis learned about Nadia threatening to cut herself in the restaurant and that her hallmates had suspected that she was suicidal. While doing their forensic investigation ahead of Nadia's body being found, 
The Royal Canadian Mounted Police looked at Nadia's computer and saw her conversation on alt-suicide methods. I wonder how it will feel to actually die, Nadia had written to Cammy D. Nice, Cammy told her. Nadia's body was finally found on April 20th, 2008. While Nadia had wanted her death to look like an accident, the evidence of her suicidality made it pretty hard to believe that she had fallen through the ice while skating. Her parents and brother were devastated. Between Mark Drybra and Nadia Kajuji's deaths in 2005 and 2008, respectively, the users of alt-suicide methods were getting suspicious. ASM users pride themselves on being pro-choice about suicide. That is, if someone truly wants to die, they won't be looked down upon for actually doing it. But many members are on the forum to make sure that people have really considered all of their options in life before they choose death. From a GQ article by Nadia Lobby, these chat rooms can provide a lifeline or they can amount to a death sentence. It all depends who's online and what they're doing there. A lot of members of ASM knew of one another, each person's level of suicidality and depression, and they made connections. So when Celia Blay noticed the user Lee Dow sending the same kind of reply to the forum's most suicidal members, she was suspicious. Under each post written by someone who truly wanted to die, Lee had written just three words. Check your email. There are two versions of, of how Celia Blay ended up on ASM in 2006. The GQ article says that Celia found it by accident while doing historical research. But on a TV documentary, she says that she herself was in a dark place. She had lost both of her parents in a short time and wasn't sure what to do with herself. Whatever the reason, she created an account and started to explore the site. In her early 60s at the time, Celia was older than many of the users of ASM and took on a kind of motherly role as she started to make friends there. She met a 17-year-old girl from Central America who was finding it impossible to mentally recover from the sexual abuse she'd endured. Along with many others, Celia counseled the girl as best she could over the internet and felt like she was dissuading the girl from killing herself after a few weeks. But then, the teen mentioned that she had been made an interesting offer from a user called Lee Dow. Lee was a nurse, the girl said, who emailed her instructions on how to hang herself and had offered to enter into a pact. Celia wrote to the girl, Surely this nurse isn't going to travel to Central America to hang herself with you. Her friend replied, Oh no, we're going to watch each other over webcam. Celia had seen this Lee Dow telling person after person to check their emails and wondered if she was entering into pacts with all of these people. And obviously, if Lee was making multiple suicide pacts, she hadn't followed through with any of them to date. Celia started contacting all the people to whom Lee had sent emails. The ones who answered sent her copies of their conversation with Lee. Lee loved to call people hun and was very sympathetic. She told each person that she was a nurse in her 20s from Minnesota. She also told them that hanging was the best way to go. That's how she was going to die. And did they want her to die with them? Perhaps they should do it over webcam so they wouldn't be alone. In September 2006, Lee stopped responding to messages. Despite corresponding with dozens of people regularly, no one had heard from her. One person who had been talking to Lee, a 22-year-old man from Croatia, got an email from Lee's address from a Zhaoping Zhang, who claims to be Lee's mother. The email, written in choppy English, told the man that Lee had indeed hung herself. 
Her friend was devastated and was even more determined to die now that Lee was dead. Lee had been so desperate she hadn't even waited to die with him. But then, two months after Lee was reported dead, she appeared on the site again. If ASM users hadn't been suspicious about her dozens of unhonored suicide pacts, the fact that Lee was back from the dead was the final straw. Lee doesn't exist, one user wrote. It's some perv fucking with us. Another user, who called himself mawkish, said he'd tried to talk to Lee on the phone, but she kept making excuses as to why she couldn't. He wrote, I believe she got some kind of high from trying to convince people to die. Lee must have known the jig was up and disappeared again. But soon, Celia received a tip that a user claiming to be a 20-something nurse from Minnesota was typing familiar responses to people who wanted to die. Check your email. But it wasn't Lee. This user called themselves Falcon Girl. After putting all of this together, Celia decided that this was too serious to keep to herself. Since discovering that Lee Dow was making dozens of suicide pacts, Celia had been going from suicide forum to suicide forum, posting warnings about her. She took notes of Lee's internet comings and goings for months, and had kept all of the chat transcripts she'd been sent by other forum members who would talk to Lee at any point. With all of this intel, she figured the police would be as panicked as she was. But she was wrong. The police weren't at all impressed by her tale of an alleged internet troll who liked to watch people kill themselves. In fact, they told her, if it bothers you, look the other way. After being turned away by the British police, Celia contacted the FBI, since she knew Lee Dow slash Falcon Girl was running an international operation. Not to mention, whoever this person was often mentioned that they were from Minnesota. But the FBI never answered her. So Celia kept posting warnings about Lee and Falcon Girl on suicide forums, and people continued to send her tips about them. What Celia really wanted was to deal with Lee keyboard to keyboard, but Lee only targeted the most vulnerable people, and Celia was seen as a confident leader on the site. Not to mention, Lee had probably seen Celia's warning posts. So instead, Celia went through someone else. She met Kat Lowe on ASM in November 2007. Kat was a fellow Englishwoman, 37 years old, whose depression was bolstered by drugs and custody disputes. It was Kat who emailed Celia, saying she knew Celia knew what Lee Dow was about, and that a friend of Kat's had entered into a pact with Lee, though they didn't go through with it. Kat herself had been contacted by Lee, who tried to convince Kat to hang herself. After Lee disappeared, Falcon Girl did the same. Once Kat had linked up with Celia, Kat sent Falcon Girl an email, telling her she had lost her job and was ready to die. To Kat's surprise, someone named Cammie D answered her email. As usual, Cammie gave Kat all the instructions she'd need, but added, I think you said you have a webcam. That would help a lot, too. Kat asked this Cammie if she watched other people die over webcam, and Cammie said yes, for others. One of them, she said, was a 32-year-old man from Coventry back in 2005. Over the next few weeks, Kat talked to Cammie, pretending to enter into a pact with her and purchasing a webcam. While both had their cameras on, Cammie's was usually pointed away from her. But one day, Cammie moved into the view of the camera, for just a few seconds. The 20-something female nurse, it turns out, was a 40-something man. Lee Dow slash Falcon Girl slash Cammie D's real name was William Melchert Dinkle, a creeper's name if ever I heard one. 
Born in 1962, William had lived his entire life in Minnesota. So at least one thing he'd said was true. Oh, and he actually was a nurse. Now that they had a name, someone else on the forum, who worked in telecommunications, traced William's IP address to Faribault, Minnesota. Celia contacted someone she knew in Minnesota who said he'd present the case to the local police. They pointed her to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. While, as far as Celia knew, none of William's victims were minors, the task force still took on the case. No one knew it at the time, but when Celia had first tried to get help from the English police and the FBI, Nadia, William's latest victim, had still been alive. She had died while Celia was trying to get someone to care about the case. In fact, coincidentally, it was just two weeks after the Internet Crimes Task Force took on the case that the police in Faribault got a call from the Ottawa PD about a missing Canadian girl's link to a Minnesota man named Bill Melcher Dinkle. It took months for them to actually talk to him, but when they did, he didn't hold back. He told them he, he'd been talking to suicidal people online under the names Lee Dow, Falcon Girl, and Cammy D. He also told them that he'd claimed to have watched a British man hang himself over webcam, but he said that he had lied to the people he'd told that to. What he had done, he admitted, was made at least a dozen international suicide pacts, five of which he knew had gone forward, and encouraged many, many more to kill themselves. Why? For the thrill of the chase. Even creepier, William had two teenage daughters around Nadia's age. When police looked on William's computer, they found a photo of Nadia. Apparently being caught by the police, though not arrested as of yet, opened the floodgates for William. The same day he talked to the police, he went to his local emergency room, where he told the staff that he was addicted to internet suicide sites and suicide was his fetish. He said that he was feeling guilty and worthless about all the people he'd coerce into killing themselves. From what I can tell, he was not admitted into the hospital. Laws about assisted suicide in Minnesota are some of the strictest on the books. However, the laws had never been applied to someone doing it over the internet. Much like the Michelle Carter case, in which a young woman encouraged her boyfriend over text to kill himself, William Melchert Dinkle's case was unprecedented. In April of 2010, William was charged with assisting in Mark Driver's suicide and attempting to assist Nadia. He was found guilty the next month and sentenced to 360 days in jail. But William's lawyer was pretty ingenious. He filed for an appeal and in court argued that while William had, quote, encouraged and advised suicide, he did not actually assist because he was not physically there. He also pointed out that the law against assisted suicide said that the perpetrator had to, quote, incite someone to an unlawful act. But suicide isn't illegal. William had a right to free speech, the lawyer argued, and therefore he could tell anyone he wanted to kill themselves. And, the lawyer added, it wasn't like William was getting anything from these deaths. He hadn't worked his way into someone's will or had them send him money. What he did was immoral, the lawyer said, but not illegal. And so, after spending 178 days in jail, William was set free, ordered to be on probation for 10 years. Additionally, the judge required William to return to prison on the anniversary of Mark and Nadia's deaths for the next decade, which is very weird. Once William was released in 2011, Mark's mother, Elaine Drybra, said, quote, I'm just worried he might do the same thing to someone else. They should be making an example of him. What right did he have to do what he did? When you Google William, his Wikipedia page lists him as an American nurse, rather than creepy American sadist. Actually, though, 
William now drives trucks because he lost his nursing license due to incompetence. Nadia's family had a bench erected where Nadia's body was found, which had an inscription reading, You will not be forgotten. As I was doing research for this episode, I found a Facebook page dedicated to Nadia. It had been made when Nadia was still missing, to aid in finding her. But once she was found, it turned into a memorial page. Scrolling through it, I found this post written by Nadia's mom, Deborah Chevalier, on October 29th, 2009. Hey baby, your favorite night of the year is fast approaching. It will be a really difficult night without you. Hope you enjoy your Halloween items we've bought you. Please try to be with us Friday night. Love you always, Mom. Thanks for checking out Hooked this week. We'll be back next week with a new story. But for right now, you can find me on social media on Twitter at HookedPodcast1, that's the number one at the end, on Instagram at HookedPodcast, and on Facebook at HookedThePodcast. Also, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com slash hookedthepod, where you can get access to early episodes and regularly released bonus episodes. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.